And with that, you are just in time for the Jack Riccardi Show, and here he is, Jack Riccardi. Hey, Christian, have you seen that uh, video? I mean, this has gone big-time viral of a guy at a, he's at a Yankees baseball game. He's got a beer and a hot dog. He takes a straw. Stop me if you've heard this. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. He takes a straw, and he sticks the straw all the way through, so he, he, he runs the straw all the way through the hot dog the long way. He then removes the meat that is now clumped into the straw. Then he puts the hot dog in the beer and proceeds to drink the beer through the hot dog. It's it's even worse when you see it. I know it sounds awful. This has worse when you see it. This has the look of a you know. Have you ever passed by an accident on the side of the road? And you see exactly. a, you know, ambulance and stuff. You're like, I better not look at that. But what do you do? Exactly. I got to exactly. go check it out, but only at Yankee Stadium. That's all I can say. I'm not, I'm not, you know me. I, Red Sox can't even, can't even, I'm sorry, I can't even go there. That's <laughs> what you get. That's what you get. Uh-huh. All right. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show where we drink. Who, who even drinks beer with any kind of a straw? Hello. Come on. Come on, people. Come on, America. Uh, 408 on KTSA. So there's a guy, there's a story in the news today. Uh, this is what's triggered me. This is my, this is my trigger today. This guy was on an American Airlines, uh, flight and he was on the plane, but the plane was on the ground. And he's looking out the window. His name is Christian Damiana. And he's looking out the window and he sees the guys that wrangle the luggage down there on the tarmac. And one of them has a uh, Let's Go Brandon hat on. It says Let's Go Brandon on the front, and it has FJB on the side. Well, he gets his phone right out, does Christian Damiana, and he starts tweeting how disappointed and upset he is. How dare he? How can this be happening? He wrote, very disappointed to see at American Air crew employee wearing a Let's Go Brandon hat that says F. Joe Biden on the side, no less, at work. Does this match your values? He's tweeting to American Airlines. Um, Have you noticed how much leftists enjoy getting working people in trouble? I promised our listener Karen in Uvalde, I wouldn't use the term Karen, but, you know, that's the term people use for May I see a manager? <laughs> you know, that, that mindset. And it, it's, it's something about, even though, even though you would think they would be glad that somebody was doing the jobs they're too good to do with their unpaid for college educations, th- they have this thing for getting working people in trouble. So rather than just say, whatever, you know, the guy's got a hat on, whatever. I mean, imagine how closely you'd have to be watching him. Those windows are tiny. I mean, he's really checking this guy out. But instead of just letting it go, he's going to get him in trouble. Well, American Airlines, despite their name, uh, jumped all over it. Oh, they're on board. They told Christian, please DM us the airport and gate So we can forward this to our leadership team. Translation, the guy in the hat is in trouble. And, you know, 
I'm sure somewhere this Christian Damiana is telling everybody that he saved democracy. He 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 struck a blow to save democracy. That that hat was a threat to our democracy. What do you think about that? I mean, and 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 I'm I'm amazed at the airlines. You know, if there's ever been a business that has no problem telling you to go shove it. It's the airlines, right? You can't make excuses to the airlines. You can't appeal to their better nature or ask them to meet you halfway. Right? I mean, no offense if you work for an airline. I'm not saying this about you personally, but your companies are incredibly non-customer oriented. I mean, if they say you can't do X, you can't do X. There's no there's no meat in the middle. You would think of all companies, they would be able to tell Christian Damiana, go blow it out your ear. He works for us. We don't care if you like it or not, but they won't. And so probably somewhere some guy's paying a price for his cap. 210-599-5555. I have to play a little of this for you because I don't usually play Tucker Carlson. I know a lot of you listen to Tucker Carlson at night after our show, but he had some really good lines about the Fauci retirement announcement. Take a listen to this, cut number four. Sure, the chaos, if you can, in the organic chaga aisle at Whole Foods in Brookline. Try to envision the panic and hysteria that must have broken out at espresso bars in Edgartown, in Aspen, in Santa Monica, and Bethesda, as thousands of masked ladies in Lululemon discovered all at once that the one religious leader they still revered, their own even tinier version of the Dalai Lama, had decided to retreat forever from public life. It was, ladies and gentlemen, the equivalent of a targeted nuclear device detonated over the most emotionally vulnerable elements of our most privileged population. You can picture the carnage, the wailing, the swooning, manicured hands clutched to breasts and fumbling for Xanax in expensive handbags. Not since the orange man seized the White House in a Russian coup have more 46-year-old Cornell-educated lawyers with weak husbands wept shamelessly in public. There's not enough rosé in Napa to quell that pain. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. It never is supposed to be this way. Just a month ago, St. Tony suggested to his followers he'd be around another two years, at least living at public expense as the highest paid federal employee till the end of Joe Biden's first, but hopefully not last term. And you know what that meant? It meant many more spreads in Teen Vogue, many more interviews on NPR, many more tips on masking. Is three enough? And, of course, more vital guidance on how to celebrate the holidays. Which relatives should we ban from Thanksgiving this year? Dr. Fauci will know. Oh, but not anymore. That's all gone. He's sitting masked at Brian Stelter's house watching Chris Hayes tonight. (laughs) He got a lot in in a minute and a half. Now, um, Fauci is not the only one departing the scene. Uh, do you remember Dr. Liana Wen? She was the head of Planned Parenthood. She left Planned Parenthood and went over to CNN. Talk about, well, I won't even go there. And um, she became one of their talking heads about COVID. She uh, just wrote a piece uh, in which she's talking about uh, what she plans to do with her family this fall, entitled, Why I Won't Be Masking My Kids This School Year. Why I Won't Be, says Liana Wen. She says, over the past several months, my family has eased back on our precautions. We see other families indoors without masks or testing and have resumed traveling and attending events. 
Our son, who turns five this week, started indoor soccer and play dates. Our pandemic baby, now two, went to day camp this summer. Both kids are starting school next week. I accept, she writes, I accept the risk that my kids will probably contract COVID-19 this school year, just as they could contract the flu or respiratory virus or other contagious diseases. I accept the risk, she says. Dr. Wynn, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, that's what we were, were asking for permission to do. Do our own risk assessment. In other words, she sounds like us, circa 2021. I accept the risk that my kids will probably get it, she says, like almost everyone in Florida and Texas was saying the last two years. And she goes on to talk about the trade-offs are different for different people and based on who you have in your household, immunocompromised family members, et cetera, et cetera. We know all that. Here's my question. Fauci's leaving. Dr. Wen is pulling a 180. But where is the humility? Where is the confronting? I don't, I don't even want, I, I don't want a confession or, a, or an apology. I don't need that. But where is the confronting? We were wrong about a lot of things. We got a lot of things wrong. Somebody wrote me a great email yesterday. Said, How can the CDC reform itself when it doesn't admit to mistakes? You can't say we'll do better next time if you don't admit to what you didn't do right or didn't do well the first time. I'm not worried about our country's ability to produce materials and supplies, and I'm, I'm in fact, I'm quite confident now, given the rapid response of everything from PPE to the shots, but I, I, I am concerned that our elites apparently are not going even as they start taking their own kids' masks off, they're not going to explain to you why and how they got masking orders for you so wrong. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. We talked a little about this yesterday. It looks like the president's about to announce uh, student loan forgiveness, $10,000 student loan forgiveness plan. And um, we're going to talk to... Uh, uh, a guest about this in about half an hour, but I um I guess the way I look at this, and we talked about remember I, I think I read you Iowa Hawk, the blogger, his idea was that we should look at what the rate of return is on each major and if if a particular major overwhelmingly graduates people who overwhelmingly get jobs in the degree field, they of course can pay their their loans back. Let's stop making loans to people who choose a major where there is a very low likelihood you'll get employed and because we know they're, they're the people that won't pay them back. But the other aspect of all this is that while this is being dressed up as something that helps working people, this is really taking money from the blue-collar, didn't-go-to-college America and paying the debt of the upper crust did go to college, America. It's brutal in its cynicism. It is tailored, it is crafted to reward people who are likely Democratic voters. 
and to screw people who are likely not. And it doesn't even solve the problem, which is that colleges keep raising their tuitions every year, and the more aid money that's available, the more the tuitions go up. You just make the sponge bigger, and it absorbs more liquid. But I, I, I hope people catch on to what is happening here. You are going to pay for a meal you didn't eat. You weren't even asked to sit at the table. Do you ever wear politically-themed uh, clothing or stuff on the job when you go to work? Do you wear your political shirts or hats to work? That's our question today on the JR poll. Because, I mean, I I understand if somebody says, I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't do that. I probably shouldn't wear that to work. I'll wear it on the weekends. And I could also understand if your, if your boss came to you and said, look, you know, just tone it down. We don't want to, we got to, we got to please everybody here. We got to, that's fine. That's all very reasonable. It's, it's not ir, irrational or unreasonable for your employer to ask you not to wear political stuff to work. And it's, it's certainly a logical decision for you to make that on your own. But this guy was, you know, handling luggage. He's down there on the tarmac. He's not dealing with the public. He's 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 working at an airport. He's not at the you know he's not checking people in at the at the gate or or uh, you know greeting them at the front door. He he's he's handling luggage. He's doing his job, and he's got his let's go Brandon hat on. And uh, some eagle eyed, you know, hall monitor. Spotted him from the airplane. Oh, I'm going to get him in trouble. Took a picture, you know. 210-599-5555. A lot of people, by the way, are saying, yeah, they do wear politically themed uh, stuff to work. Uh, What's your decision on that, or what's your policy on that, or does your company uh, have a policy on that? So here's what the numbers say about uh, college in America. 37% of Americans have a four-year college degree. 12% have a graduate degree. And more than half of all student loan debt is held by people who have a grad degree. So these are not the, the poor and the downtrodden. These are people that have made a decision that puts them in the, you know, elite category. Now, maybe it didn't work out for them. I understand all the ways in which it can go sideways on you. But I also know that that happens when people buy houses and cars and they had good intentions and they thought they'd be able to. Our our answer to that is not to transfer your debt to the shoulders of somebody else. When people make bad decisions about borrowing money, we try to improve their decision-making both on their end and on the regulatory end. That's why politicians do things like regulate, uh, you know, payday lenders. So if we really cared about people that got bamboozled into taking out too much money for a graduate degree in poetry, we would make sure that more people weren't doing that as I speak. We would stop the, the scam. But what we wouldn't do and what we've never done is tell people who had no part in that decision, no part in taking that loan, you'll have to pay for it. That's what we're doing now.
It's obvious why we're doing it. It's political catnip. And this is a big year. And Brandon has to deliver on something. And he's been playing footsie with his own voters and with the Bernie voters since 2019 on this issue. And he's never done it. The only thing he's ever done to this point is is talk about the extension of, <coughs> excuse me, the COVID, um, you know, the COVID sort of, what do you want to call it, uh, vacation for making those payments. But now it's decision time, and we're within 100 days of the midterms. 210-599-5555. So we've been talking about these things. Um, Brad Palumbo, who wrote a really good piece about this uh, taxpayer bailout of college loan debt, is going to join us here in about 10 minutes. Um, Robert is on 550 and 1071 KTSA with our poll question about, uh, do you, Robert, do you wear politically marked or themed uh, stuff to work? Yes, uh- we're not allowed to. Actually, I'm a supervisor. We do not allow our employees to wear anything with political themes. We are federal employees mm-hmm. uh, because of the Hatch Act. Mm-hmm. We are prohibited yeah. from yeah. doing it. We have to remain apolitical. No conversations, no teachers, no hats, zero. Right, right. So, you know, I think if you just tell people up at the front end, if that's the rule, and, and in your case it's the law, um, that's one thing. But if you're going to try to get people in trouble for doing it after the fact, I think that's kind of sleazy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there needs to be it needs to be a, a company's policy. Uh, employees need to be informed. And what I normally tell my folks, hey, you can discuss anything you like, uh, you know, away from work as an adult. Yeah. You have the conversation. Right. That's that's a private matter. But uh, as long as you're at work, uh, please uh, do not do so. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate the call. I'll tell you why they won't make these rules, though. I'll tell you why they wait and they go after the Let's Go Brandon guy. As you might have seen the story in the news the other day about some school district somewhere um, said, we're not going to allow uh, rainbow pride flags in the classroom. Now, what they really did was they made a rule against all political advocacy flags, banners in the classroom. But the media spun it as if it was only a rainbow flag policy, which is the usual garbage take from our media but here's here's what happens if you say if american airlines says no political or opinion caps there's going to be somebody with a blm cap and they don't want to go there so they don't make it clear they just let this cranky ass passenger get this guy on the tarmac in trouble i don't know if he is in trouble it sounds like he is I guess we'll we'll find out in the hours ahead. Uh, what do you think about that? And what is the fixate? You know, I, I'm so old, I remember when people on the left constantly claimed to be the defenders of the working man and woman. We're, the, we're fighting for working people. We care about working people. Bill Clinton could talk about it and chew his lower lip. God, he looks so sincere. We care about the younger people, the, the young working people. But now when a lefty sees a, a, a hard-working truck driver, a hard-working baggage handler, a hard-working store, uh, you know, shelf stalker, food delivery person, they're checking them over from head to toe for any Let's Go Brandon gear or any Gadsden flags. They must have a mental checklist they run through. Are, is there, are there any... Um, let's see... 
They're LGB, but not LGBTQ. So LGB without the TQ after it is a problem. Is there FJB? Is there Gadsden flag? Is there anything with the number 45? Is there a red cap? If they're wearing a red cap, let me get a closer look. Let me see what it says on the front. It might just be the Cincinnati Reds. But what if it's, what if it's MAGA? So they run, they run you through their checklist. And if they catch anything, and they always know who to report it to, right? They've got it on speed dial or speed tweet. So while we talk about the uh, politically themed garb at work because of the American Airlines guy with the Let's Go Brandon cap, we're also talking about uh, what they're going to do about forgiving, quote-unquote, student loan debt. It's really a, a, a misnomer. They're not forgiving it. Joe Biden isn't a, isn't a priest and a confessional. They're transferring it. In fact, our next guest says this is really a massive uh, transfer from affluent people to hardworking people, some of whom didn't even go to college. Brad Palumbo is a policy correspondent with the Foundation for Economic Education, co-founder of Based Politics and a contributor to the Washington Examiner, and wrote a piece recently at Newsweek entitled, Why is Biden Extending a Taxpayer Bailout to Doctors and Lawyers? Brad Palumbo, good afternoon. Hey. So I, I think this is very interesting because the way this is being spun by most politicians who favor it, it's helping out the little guy. You say it's putting the burden on the little guy. Yeah, it's definitely not helping the poor and working class, which is how progressive Democrats tend to frame this issue. Full student debt cancellation would actually give six times more benefit to the top 20% than it would to the bottom 20%. And why is that? Well, it's simple. Uh, Only one in three American adults over age 25 actually went to college and got a bachelor's degree. And they tend to earn more. That tends to be a more affluent slice of society, but they're the only ones who benefit from student debt cancellation, Mm. yet everybody pays federal taxes. So it's actually a very regressive policy issue. Uh, and, And there's a couple different things here. They've had this pause on payments for over two years now. Um, that they're going to extend again, and then Biden's looking at doing this $10,000 cancellation with an income cap, which isn't as bad, but it would still have a lot of these same problems. Why is no one, at least that I, that I see on the political landscape, proposing that we fix the actual scam that got people into this position in the first place? You know, it, you, you can imagine how zealous the progressives were to go after payday lenders, but they have no interest in pointing out that nothing has inflated faster in the last 20 or 30 years than college tuition. That's because in this case, the scammy lender is the government, yeah. uh, and they're not too keen at looking at the... So it's the, the basically the federal government has given students uh, close to a blank check. We'll give you subsidized loans or unsubsidized loans as well to, for whatever the price of college is, we'll help you pay it. And that leads to massive price inflation. Uh, so they've created this problem, and you're right. This, the idea of canceling student debt is immoral and, and wrong for a bunch of reasons, but it's also like a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. It would only take about four years. We currently have $1.6 trillion in, in student loan debt owed to the government if you did this 10K cancellation plan that Biden is reportedly about to announce tomorrow, 
it would only take four years before we were back at $1.6 trillion in debt owed to the federal government. It doesn't solve the underlying problem at all. And, and I think part of the underlying problem, I understand that the government is the lender, but part of the underlying problem is that in other areas of consumer debt, we, we approach it by trying, on the one hand, to counsel people to make better decisions, and regula- you know, in terms of regulation, we try to make it harder for lenders to be predatory. In this case, we're not changing any of that. We're not, we're not changing the unrealistic expectations people have of a graduate degree in poetry. We're not changing the fact that colleges are building buildings and adding administrators, not adding academia. So we're not fixing any of the things that in any other industry we'd say, well, before we can do anything else, we've got to stop the bleeding. Yeah, no, I completely agree. All of that contributes massively to the why it's so expensive, and this doesn't do anything to solve it. Now, the honest answer is that a lot of these progressives want to socialize higher education and have it be, quote-unquote, free and paid for by all taxpayers completely. Tuition-free college, that's the thing. When you point this out to them, they'll say, well, ultimately, that's where we want to go. Somebody Somebody like Biden won't admit that, but that's where the left truly wants to go. But even that doesn't actually address the expense. It just takes it away from individuals and passes it to taxpayers, which then you have no skin in the game. I mean, look, I went to uh, a public college, graduated in three years, went where I could go and get a scholarship, studied economics because I knew I would have a decent return on that investment. I mean, if taxpayers were billing, were billing it, I would have gone to fancy private college, you know, I, taken five years to graduate, joined a frat, you know, like... Well, Why see, now, not, you, just, right? you mean, just used the word. You, you just used the word investment. If we treated uh, loans to prospective college students as investments, we would take a hard look at what the actual market is for the skills they're going to be acquiring. We would take a hard look at the rate of return based on people that went before them. We would favor uh, you know, majors or degree programs in areas where we need more of those people and disfavor sort of pie-in-the-sky, dreamboat, you know, contemplate your naval degrees. So why don't we, why doesn't somebody propose that we make this into an investment rather than a uh, some sort of, you know, idealistic gift? Well, one interesting idea has been the idea of income repayment loans. So essentially that, like, private loans where they would offer, we'll give you the money to go to college, and then we get X percentage of your future income for this number of years. But they'll only give you that loan if you're going to study something they think will make the money right. worth it. Right. Um, and you'll only take it if you think it'll be a good investment. But that's the thing that people need to understand is there's very, very, very little private student loans. It's almost all government. And government loans don't have profit motives because they're spending other people's money. If we actually got the government loans out of the equation, there would be private loans. But they would actually, like when you go and say, can I get a mortgage? Or can you give me a business loan? They're going to say, okay, do you have a job? Now, of course, they didn't do this back in 2008, but that's a whole other can of worms. But generally speaking, private banks, if you don't bail them out, are going to make sure the people they give loans to will actually be able to pay them back. And so they'll make sure you're studying something where you'll get an ROI. Uh, But the government just doesn't do that. So because it's devoid of market signals and profit incentives, and so that's why I think that fundamentally, you know, retracting those loan programs as much as possible is, is how we stop the bleeding. 
Do you think people are starting to wise up to any of this? Um, are they starting to see the pattern that almost everything this administration proposes in the name of inflation reduction is actually, it, it's, it's sort of Orwellian in, in almost every case, it's going to work against the people it purports to help? Yeah, student loan debt, uh, and undoing the pause in particular, would be slightly inflationary, which is, it's kind of hilarious because they're doing all this to reduce inflation. I mean, it's like spending and giving out money like candy on Halloween got us into this mess, and their solution is to do more of it. I don't know, but that's the thing. I mean, Thomas Sowell, famous economist, once said that the first rule of politics is to discard the first rule of economics. And I think that's really it. It's, it's just about politics. Will voters like getting a handout? Yes. It, it, will they actually put two and two together and realize that it's causing all these economic problems that are making things worse? Most of them, probably not. And that's the unfortunate reality of our politics uh, and the lure of handouts and free everything. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess the hope is that maybe the people that, you know, noticed, uh, for example, that the Green New Deal was killing them at the gas pump, maybe they will also, because th- they're, they're the ones that are going to pay for this, and maybe they will look at it and say, hey, wait a minute, um, this isn't forgiveness, this is transference. Yeah, I hope they will. That's, that's a big part of what I do, is try to raise awareness on these issues and educate the public. And I think, you know, uh, people are listing inflation as their number one issue, so yep. they are definitely waking up. Uh, but just whether it will really be widespread enough, this realization, especially when uh, the mainstream media just echoes the talking points. Uh, so it's, I worry that not enough people will be exposed to the truth of what's going on here in the first place for it to, tr- to truly catch on. Brad Palumbo, who wrote about it at Newsweek.com. Uh, Brad, great uh, job on this. Thank you for the time today. Really enjoyed it. Hope we can have you back again. Thanks. Have a good one. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to make an assumption here. If you made a Venn diagram of uh, people that are pro-abortion, they don't like it when you call it that. They want to be called pro-choice. And you made another Venn diagram circle of people who are uh, triggered by, let's go, Brandon Caps. I think there'd be a lot of overlap, right? Like I think a lot of people who are in one circle are in the other circle. So why can't we turn their slogan on them when they don't like what we're wearing? Why can't we say, my body, my choice? It's on my head, doofus, not on yours. Avert your eyes. (laughs) You can do that, right? Just look away. My body, my choice. I'm wearing it. Not asking you to wear it, not making you look at it, not grabbing you by the ears and aiming your eyes at it. My body, my choice. JR poll question, do you ever wear politically themed stuff on the job? By the way, I don't really have very much politically themed stuff. I'm not into that. I'm, I, it's fine if you are, but plus it's radio, so if I was wearing it, you wouldn't be able to tell. 210-599-5555. We've been talking about uh, that American Airlines employee that got narked on by a passenger, and we've been talking about College loan forgiveness. A, a lot of people just oppose it on principle. Like, hey, you know, you you signed up for it, and now you got to pay it. But there's even more wrong with the so-called forgiveness or transference than that. It really is going to make people 
who pursued a different path pay for the path you chose. So people that went and got a trade, uh, you know, a, a diploma from a trade school or apprenticed and learned to trade or went to work in their family's business or went to work in a field that didn't require a college degree, and that's a choice, those are all choices, are going to pay for people who chose a different path. And once we go down that road, where does that end? Where does that stop? If you're if you're at home eating, you know, rice and beans, should you have to pay for the guy next door who's having steak? Progressives would say yes, except they wouldn't like the steak part because she'd be eating crickets. Eleanor is on KTSA at two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Eleanor, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I heartily disagree with the idea of student loan forgiveness because I think it just reinforces a pattern of um, making wrong choices and not being responsible. But I do have to take issue with your two references to people getting graduate degrees in poetry. Um, My son did, and he has made a fabulous success of himself in his career. Oh, really? What is he doing? Well, he's involved in running a charter school, uh, a whole charter school system. Before that, what does that what does that have to do with poetry, though? Well, the point is that somewhere in that program, he, together with our encouragement, he learned the skills he needed to have to, frankly be a success in mm-hmm. almost any sort of liberal arts-oriented uh, career. I have to admit, Eleanor, I don't know very much about educational administration, but I would think that it's more coincidental than cause- causative that he is running a charter school and has a poetry graduate degree. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're trying to get me on this, but I don't think that really justifies paying for people to get graduate degrees in poetry. I don't think people should be paid to get graduate degrees in poetry. But my point is, is that sometimes, and I've, and I've heard this discussed widely, and I'm not, I'm not singling you out, but I'm afraid that with all of the emphasis on getting degrees only in um, disciplines for which there is an immediate, very obvious payback, like engineering or law or business, that we're ignoring um, a whole realm of other benefits. Um, And I think, you know, I have faith that he was going to make something out of this. Mm-hmm. And he did, but mm-hmm. that had mm-hmm. more to do with him as right. a personality, as a right. type of person. Right. And so you're not you're not saying that's a justification for loan forgiveness. You're saying a person who has the right stuff is going right. to is going to uh, you know break through and succeed. Correct. And, and I, I will, I will try not to make the poetry reference because I, 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 I know that that chafes people. 
but but I I, I was I was merely reach. I could say basket weaving. I could say something else. My point is when it's when there's not an obvious market for it, and there isn't, um, it, it isn't a good investment for the government, its taxpayers, or anyone else to to loan the money. And 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 I, again, I would say without knowing your son, sounds like he might have been you know successful with any one of a hundred other degrees because you're you're saying it yourself he had certain personal you know uh, qualities he did but i have to tell you my father said to me after looking at my career i'm so glad i didn't question your getting degrees in history <laughs> oh no oh, you'll never listen i'll always i'll always be in the corner of somebody with a history degree i love that <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad that you have that, Eleanor, and I'm glad you called me, and I appreciate what you're saying. I do. i got to hold you there. Hey, Christian, do you remember um, the Mike Dukakis? Well, do you remember Mike Dukakis? Uh-huh. 88? Um, Was that 1988? Yeah, 1988, right. Yep. Uh, do you remember the uh, the ad that he made or that featured him riding around in a tank? And he it was sticking out of the turret of the tank, and he had this big helmet on. It just looked... It was one of those moments that was written about as if it was a turning point or a, you know, a, a fatal imaging issue. You remember that? Mike Dukakis in a tank. Yeah, he was trying to, you know, he was he was running against Bush's uh, George Bush's, uh, you know, experience on foreign policy and global issues, and he had been a governor. Dukakis was just a governor. And the knock on him was he didn't he didn't know those things or wasn't well versed. So they showed him visiting. I don't know if he was a military base or where he was, but it just it probably looked good on paper. But in in reality, him with a big helmet on and yeah, in you the know, tank, it was rough. I'm going to be totally honest here. I had to Google this as you're talking, and um, <laughs> you know, I'm taking a look, and I'm just uh, sorry you did that. Well, now I know why the election went the way it did. Because, I mean, let's, so, be, let's be honest. In 1988, I was 16, 17 yeah. years old. I had other stuff going. I understand. <laughs> I, you know? I, and, and, well, you should have. <laughs> right. Now, I was thinking of this today because, and I'm not comparing them directly, but this, there's an ad that uh, Ron DeSantis is running. And, by the way, he's running it outside of Florida. He's running for re-election in Florida as governor, but the worst-kept secret in American politics is that this guy is going to run for president. So this is an ad where they they riff on Top Gun, only he's Top Gov. Take a listen to this. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your governor speaking. Today's training evolution, dogfighting, taking on the corporate media. The rules of engagement are as follows. Number one. Don't fire unless fired upon, but when they fire, you fire back with overwhelming force. Does it say that in the bill? I'm asking you to tell me what's in the bill. Number two, never ever back down from a fight. If I could complete the question though. So you're going to give a speech or ask a question? Number three, don't accept their narrative. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts. It's why people don't trust people like you because you peddle false narratives. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get up on yeah, he's uh, he's kind of posed in front of a fighter plane. He's got the, the jumpsuit on. Um, and the the slogan on the ad is Top Gov. Top Gov. He 
talked about the ad on Fox and Friends this morning. Take a listen. Well, I think it was something that uh, my, my wife uh, initially <laughs> thought about because you talk about the dog fighting and it's like, okay, well, what is our dog fighting? It's dealing with corporate top press gov. and always making sure that we stand our ground. <laughs> so we came up with the Top Gov when the movie came out. The, the, the uh, merchandise did really well, so it was neat. But then now, because it's coming out on streaming today, we figured there'd be more interest in it. So we figured, how could we do it? But just for the record, want to make sure, you know, my four-year-old son... <laughs> is an aficionado already about fighter jets and naval aviation yeah, of course. and he is he he is maverick not me he is maverick he makes that very clear uh whenever we talk about it mm. Mm. oh i don't know about that one top gun top gov it's got a whiff of Dukakis's helmet around it. It just does. I, I hope. I mean, in in fairness, Ron DeSantis was Navy Jag, and and I, I, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Jack, can a, I interrupt here real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Now I'm looking at pictures of DeSantis in mm. his flight jacket and so mm-hmm. forth, and I think this is one of those things where, and this is my opinion. I don't get to offer it much, but here goes. I think it all depends on who you are. And what you're trying to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm looking at DeSantis and I mean, if I didn't know who he was, I would have no idea he's not a, a cool F fifteen or F eighteen fighter pilot. If I right. saw Dukakis, I no. would know he's never driven a tank. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nor do we want him to. <laughs> right. Uh yeah. No, I think you're I think that's a I think that's a valid point. And I again I, I don't think it will be uh, disastrous for Ron DeSantis. I I don't know. There's something about that kind of reach that I just think politicians are better off not, you know, respect the people that wear the uniform, but don't go there, you know. Uh, but I, you know, it was probably too. Somebody came up with the idea. It was too irresistible not to do. Um, so they did it. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. By the way, I. I, I remember Rush Limbaugh used to always say he was tired of being right all the time. I told you this was going to happen, and it didn't even take a week. It didn't even take a week. The left has turned on Liz Cheney, and it is vicious. Remember, in the lead-up to the Wyoming primary, which was a week ago, a week ago, she's fighting for America, she's a hero, she's saving democracy, she's uh, the resistance to Orange Hitler. But then she lost, big time, to a charisma-deprived lady named Harriet Hageman. So now, Liz Cheney is really not of much use. Let me read you some tweets. And the gist of these is, yeah, we're glad she uh, is yanking Trump's chain on the J6 committee, but let's not forget, folks, she's not one of us. Larry Middleton writes, remember, Liz Cheney voted with Trump 93% of the time, so while her work on the committee is purportedly to save democracy, her goal is not to save the Democrats. Uh, here's one, the Lady Gray Never will you catch me cheering on someone who applauded the removal of reproductive rights of women and voted with Trump 93% of the time. Cheney's not an effing hero. We won't be seeing her in the cockpit of the fighter jet. 
Um, USA Today columnist Michael Stern, Liz Cheney put country over party when Trump ignited an insurrection. She gets credit for that, but she voted with Trump 93% of the time. She celebrated the end of Roe. Quit saying you'll vote for her if she runs for president. And it goes on and on like this. Uh, Somebody did a screenshot of a 2016 tweet from Liz Cheney where she said, Hillary Clinton is a serial liar, guilty of criminal behavior, and must never again have access to classified material. Twitter, GMQ Susan, I seriously can't understand lifelong Democrats, in quotes, who would vote for Liz Cheney if she ran in 2024. She voted against the Voting Rights Act, giving a boost to voter suppression, bragged when Roe v. Wade was overturned, voted with Trump 93%, etc. Um, don't forget who Liz Cheney actually is, says another. Oil and gas, pharmaceutical, women's issues, real estate, security investment. Talking about her uh, votes in the House. David Sirota on Twitter, if you're a self-described liberal who wants Liz Cheney to run for president, you are loudly telling on yourself about how little you actually care about reproductive rights, economic justice, and climate change. So the bottom line is, she was useful while she was on the committee because they needed a beard, a Republican who lent some bipartisan cred, although very little, to what they were doing. Then she might have been useful if she had prevailed in the primary. They could have said, you know, Trump's done, put a fork in him. He's like that hot dog at the Yankee game. But she lost, and she lost huge. And so they're done with her. And then there's a survey out. This is interesting. You know, is she going to run for president or not? Yahoo News did a survey. They found that in a three-way 2024 matchup, Trump, Biden, and Liz Cheney, uh, she would take way more votes away from Biden than she would from Trump. In fact, Trump wins that election with Biden a distant second and Cheney at 11%. 19% of the survey said Cheney should run for president. 52% said she should not. Among Democrats, 30% said she should run. So what happened to she's our hero? Her usefulness is over. You know, a paper cup is your hero when you're thirsty. When you drink all the water and you're not thirsty anymore, what do you do with it? Well, that's what they're doing with Liz Cheney. You could see it coming. I wonder if she did. Do you ever uh, wear politically motivated, or politically themed, I should say, not motivated, (laughs) do you ever wear politically themed stuff when you go to work? Uh, Is there a policy or no policy, or you decide, or you leave it at home, or you only wear it on the weekends? Uh, What what would be your vote? Today's JR poll, 210-599-5555. You can find the poll question at ktsa.com. Earlier this year, um, teachers in Minneapolis went on strike. And when they came back to work and they settled, um, they got a new contract, right? That's why you go on strike. And one of the provisions in that contract was that when um, layoffs were required, um, merit, performance, and seniority would take a back seat to race. Teachers of color, a, a term I know a lot of you hate, I'm just using their 
their language. Teachers of color would be exempt from layoffs if there were any white teachers available to be laid off. That's the contract. I'm not reading between the lines. That's the contract. At the time, they were quite proud of it. But now it's being, um, it's sort of resurfaced, and a conservative uh, website did a story about it, and it created a, like a fresh uproar. This was from months ago, but it's back in the news again with the former governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, saying this is another example of why a government a public employee union should be eliminated. So when they settled their strike and they got their contract, they got language that said, uh, if there are any layoffs, you can't lay off black teachers or teachers of color. Now, they are trying to defend themselves, the union. They're saying, well, it doesn't say that we want to lay off white teachers. We don't want to lay off any teachers. And in fact, they said right now, this is a moot point because they have a teacher shortage. They're not laying off teachers. They're trying to hire teachers. Okay, that may be true. But you thought this was important enough that you held out on the sidewalk until this language was put in your contract. So don't tell me it's not important. It was so important you went on strike. What do you think of that? They're extremely proud of it when they get it in March. Now it's August, and they want to keep it quiet because somebody drew attention to it. It even got on Good Morning America. And what did they do? They didn't have a, a robust defense or justification of this. They attacked the, the conservative website, which is a site called Alpha News, for running the story. Shoot the messenger. Look, I. when you talk to people, when you talk to your friends, when you talk to your coworkers about race, correct me if I'm wrong, but people just want, just, just give me a fair shake. I want you to have a fair shake. I want a fair shake. Americans are um, quick to recognize and loathe bigotry. But what is this reverse discrimination thing? It's like some sort of giant revenge game we're playing. How do you think this is going to end? I'm not asking you where it's going to end. I'm asking you how you think it's going to end. So, you marched for, you protested for, you went out and and struck for, and then you voted on this language. And you're mad because some, what they referred to as third-rate conservative website, reported it. But you're not saying the report was incorrect. You're mad that people know about it. The president of the union, the vice president of the union, Marsha Howard, said it's a non-story. Because we're not anywhere near having layoffs this year. Okay, so it shouldn't matter to me. I don't need to know about it because you're not going to use it. Is that what you're telling me? So the, the fact that it's empirically wrong that we should be retaining teachers that have skills and achievement, 
We should be. We certainly. We certainly shouldn't be um, retaining teachers based just on seniority. We certainly shouldn't be retaining teachers based on quotas. We certainly should be looking to not only retain but replicate teachers who are smash hits in the classroom, whose students love their instruction, who, who students who who overperform in the in the subject when Mr. So and So or Ms. So and So is teaching it. It shouldn't matter what color they are. You know, the other thing I thought was funny, they tried to justify the policy. They said, well, 60% of our teachers are white. And I thought, well, you're not doing a very good job of recruiting minority teachers if 60% of your teachers are white. There's nothing to brag about in this day and age when diversity is the catchword. So the, there's two stories here, basically. The main one is um, we're going to lay off white teachers first if we lay off teachers. And secondly, you don't need to know that we're doing this. It's none of your business. These pesky websites shouldn't be telling you what we're up to. Remember yesterday, Brian Stelter told us that we're the media. Everyone's a journalist. I thought He said everyone could report the news. And somebody reported an inconvenient story, and, oh, they're third rate. You gotta love it, right? I went out last night. I met a friend of mine last night. He wanted to show me his new place. Uh, and he's over on the west side. And we went to this little, uh, place called Taqueria Mexico on Somerset. And, um, the food was really good. I had the green chicken enchiladas. They were amazing. They had an incredible avocado sauce and a couple of other things that were great. He had these, uh, little mini tacos that were really good. I had one of those. Food was wonderful. We went in. Hostess, bring you to a table. Waitress, server comes over, hands us two menus. Menus. Actual, physical menus. Now, it used to be that every restaurant did that. If there was table service, I mean, unless it was a place you went up to the counter and ordered your food, or Luby's or something, you know, every restaurant that had table service had menus. And they had menus. And it hit me that that has become a rare thing. What they're doing at Taqueria Mexico is not what most restaurants are doing now. That's what they did before COVID. But since COVID, you get that little QR code, scotch tape to the table, and it's sort of like you're on your own. You know, you got to figure out if you can read it with your phone. Sometimes you're with somebody and their phone picks it up, but your phone doesn't or vice versa. Well, how, uh, all right, well, when you're done, let me look at your phone so I can order. And I get that smartphones allow us to do a lot of things. But I miss the damn menus. Can we please have the menus back? Could, could Fauci put out an order or <laughs> some guidance on this? I, and I, please, I, I understand restaurants are struggling, and this is not me being unsympathetic to that. But we don't just go to restaurants to eat; we go for a little bit of, um, you know, person-to-person contact. We want to engage with other human beings. We want to have some, you know, hospitality, and that QR code on the table just just gripes me.
I mean, it's just this, that is not customer service. That is not, we're glad to see you. We're so glad you're here. Do you have any questions? Can we get you anything to start out? What, what would you like to drink? It's like they don't want to come near you. Guy wrote about this uh, recently at City Journal. His name is uh, Jordan McGillis. He's a man after my own heart. says, this exacerbates our regrettable retreat from social life, already battered by two years of masking. The practice of manners, ordinary social interaction has been degraded further. For the shy child, the chance to interact maturely with an unknown adult is lost. For the laptop class adult, a chance to interact with someone from outside of their bubble disappears. And the intercession of the smartphone itself into the dining ritual is destructive. Ordering each course requires the diner to redirect his attention to his mobile device. The QR system all but guarantees that the phone will remain at a patron's fingertips throughout the meal. It's, it's a small thing, I know. but And I wasn't even going to bring it up until last night. But last night, when I'm looking at an actual menu, it felt pre-COVID. It felt right. That's what's supposed to happen. Can we get back to that? I don't need it to be fancy. You can you can run it off on a copier or, you know, it doesn't have to be in color. This was a professionally printed menu with photos of the food and all that. I don't need that. You know, but, and, and there are restaurants that are doing it. I'm not saying this is the only one. But now when you get a, a menu, it feels like you're, it almost feels like a privilege. That's how much we broke things over these last two years. Being handed a menu at a business where you're going to pay them money for food shouldn't feel like, a oh, wow, this is so nice. should be so normal you don't even think about it. You know, I, I think we can do this now. I know in the beginning of COVID, and, and, and I'll be the first to admit it, we didn't know what we should and should not do, and we erred on the side of caution, and I did stuff that I laugh about now. When I got groceries, I was wiping them with the the wipey, the Clorox wipes. I think I've told that on the air before. Because you didn't know. I didn't know if it was the... And now we know that wouldn't have helped and didn't matter, but come on, at this point, you know, enough already. 210-599-5555. Is there some other reason I don't know about? Because I don't see how it's saving significant money. I mean, you you still have servers. They still got to come to the table. Bring a menu. And again, if you if you burned your menus because of COVID or you paper menu would be fine. Bang it out on the word processor, print it out. I'm good with that. The QR code is is not onerous, but it's symbolic of something we don't need to be doing. And it's impersonal. And you see your server more when there's a menu because they bring you the menu. And then they come back. Do you have any questions? Are you ready to order? No, we're not really ready yet. Okay, I'll come back. Tell me what you think. 210 599 Fifty-five, fifty-five. I, I'm very, 
optimistic that we're going to put a lot of this stuff back together. We broke a lot. We broke a lot of stuff with the branch Covidians being in charge for two years. But but I do think that we're going to put it together. But part of putting it together and getting it back is we've got to speak up about what's missing or what's broken. And, and, and again, maybe you disagree. Tell me if you do. But I think that would be that would be kind of a nice small thing that would reconnect us a little bit. I think I think restaurants are struggling to figure out. Um, you know, I, I know they are. I don't think they are. I know they are struggling to figure out their new business model and how they go forward. And tell me if I'm wrong, but I think people would like more of the pre-COVID experience. And maybe there's some other stuff as well that that we need to, you know, we took out as a caution, but now we could put it back. Scott is on KTSA. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, Jack, how you doing? Good. What do you think about this? You know, I was just in a restaurant today, and and the the waiter comes over. He says, he he points down and says, yeah, the menu's right there. But when I went through the front, the lady had actually passed along the menus, and I felt like... I don't know. For me, that's part of the experience. I mean, it was less about that, you know, remembering that time, but more about, like, that's part of the dining experience for me where I can – it's all laid out the way they want you to see it. I don't know. I just felt like it was – I don't know. It became more impersonal. Like you said, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I would think they would sell more food when you could see everything, like, all at once. You know, that's that's how people talk themselves into appetizers or – getting sides or, you know, I just, I don't get the, the, the economics of that decision at all. I never thought about that, but I was guilty of that today because it was right there. You know, it's all laid out <laughs> nice and easy and I'm just pointing and just pointing, yeah. and, you know, yeah. you know, I'll have this, I'll have that just kind of pointing. But yeah, I agree with all that. Um, and I mean, if they want people to come back, I think they have to think about that whole what we expect from the experience, and and we need to put that experience back together again. I, you know, we, it definitely got broken. It's time to put it back. I I, don't, I will say this though, For, as a business owner, the 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 idea of people using QR scan codes for more things, uh, I, I think has kind of helped us to be able to get people a message. Um, in different mm-hmm. ways, and uh, mm-hmm. even with our training programs and stuff like that. But as far as restaurants, I agree. That's part of the experience. Yeah. You know, let me yeah, no, I'm sure it has a lot of applications for other things, like you know, uh, you know, you're you're kind of you're kind of getting into their digital universe when they do the the, the QR code. Um, opens you up to other things. I, I I think that's fine. I'm not against it. I just think, like you said, w- we want an experience. We're going for an experience, and we need to build that back together again but scott thank you thanks for the call i appreciate it um yeah it, it's I, I again i wasn't even going to bring it up but i remember sitting there last night and it just felt you know like a little extra just felt like a little extra you know and here's a place that's you know the, the food was very inexpensive big portions um so just a, it had a very generous feel to it um I know this is not the dish, but um, I definitely liked it. It's um, seventy-one sixty-seven Somerset Road, Taqueria, Mexico. But, but the the thing of it is, um, they were doing everything as if it was twenty nineteen. And if they can, I think probably a lot of places can. Tell me what you think. Um, there's something called when you work in um, a newsroom. There's something called the Associated Press Style Book. 
I'm so old. I remember when it was a book. I don't even. I don't know if it's in book form anymore. It's probably. It's probably just something that you look up now. But anyway, we used to get a. It was a. It was a spiral bound book. Not as big as the dictionary, but it was the Associated Press would give you all of these usage rules uh, for writing a news story. So, like how to use different professional titles, what to capitalize, what not to capitalize. And as a journalism student, we had to live by this thing, and we had to we had to have a copy of it. We toted it around. We had to abide by it, if you will. I'm not so sure it's important anymore, but the AP Stylebook uh, recently came out and told uh, journalists to stop using the pronoun she in reference to nations, ships, storms, or voice assistants. Use it instead. I don't know. I don't get the part about voice assistants. I mean, if it's a female voice, it not it she? But yeah, the tradition, the maritime tradition, as you referred to a ship, you know, she went down 100 miles off the coast, or she arrived in port on Thursday. Storms sometimes had, you know, were named after a woman, given a woman's name. Can't do that. I, I don't even know anymore when it's parody and when it's reality, so... In the case of the AP style book, it's reality. This could just as easily be like The Onion or Babylon B, right? What, what are we getting? Like, what is the victory? Like, if you're hearing this right now and you are a woman, if we can define that, are, are, you, are you like, yeah, finally? Maybe I don't get it. Maybe it's because I'm a guy, but is this a victory for you? I'm glad they're not going to refer to ships as she anymore. Those bastards. I mean, is this, I don't know, is this progress or just sort of, it seems like sort of busy work. Like somebody, this was their job for the day. We're changing the pronouns on ships. By the way, shouldn't the pronoun be they, them? Because we don't know. It seems kind of impersonal. We don't even, we don't, we don't call people it if we, if we're being gender Neutral, we call them they, them. Just saying. I'm just, I, I'm just going by their rules. I, I was fine with it the way it was, but if we're changing it, 210-599-5555. Do you, um, do you remember when um, environmentalists would get very, very uh, excited, aggravated, angry, passionate, furious, about the death of an endangered species. How the times have changed. You know, there's this big push for wind power, right? And that means we're going to need thousands and thousands of giant windmills. Wind turbines, they're called. Glenn Kessler, who's the fact checker at the Washington Post, just wrote, wind turbines do not kill birds to any significant degree, perhaps 150 to 320,000 a year, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. By contrast, more than a billion birds 
are killed by cats each year, and millions more are lost to vehicles. So he's saying this this business about wind turbines killing birds, people oppose wind turbines mentioning the bird deaths. It's only one hundred and fifty to three hundred twenty thousand a year. When did you ever think you would hear um a liberal blow off the death of three hundred and twenty thousand animals? Ah, oh, that's all. It's nothing. And Trump brings up the the bird death thing a lot when he opposes wind energy. So I guess anything he's literally anything he's against. Therefore, if Trump's defending uh, birds because of wind turbines, I'm going to support their slaughter. Says Glenn Kessler. I'm good with it. That is some kind of take. And by the way, I think if cats are, I don't have a cat, but if cats are killing birds, I think they're probably killing small, like birds in the neighborhood. They're not killing bald eagles. Your cat is not going out in the backyard and killing a hawk. But wind turbines do. Anyway. Hey, Christian, you and I have both worked at a lot of radio stations. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe more than we, (laughs) yeah. Maybe more than we had planned. I can't Um, count that high, so. Hopefully, yeah, no, and hopefully not too many more, uh, but. Um, did you ever work in a, did you ever work for a, a station or a manager or a company that wanted you to wear station logo stuff to work? You know, at a remote broadcast for yes. sure, but not yeah. in the studio. No, no. I mean, if you're going out to the public and you're the guy from KXXX, of course, mm-hmm. we want everybody to see that. Right. But if you're just in the building. No, I did hear a story once, though, out of California many years ago that um, um, there was a station owner. I don't, you know, a colleague told me about it. And station management required everybody to wear a suit and tie. Well, the men had to wear suit and ties Mm. every day to Mm. work inside Mm. the studio, outside the studio. Mm. One day a guy didn't do it, got fired. Boy, that would change your pronouns in a hurry. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like I'm not a guy anymore. Okay, ah, <laughs> rule doesn't apply anymore. That's pretty tight, well, you know. That is that's that's extreme. I, I I will say when I went to work at WGY in up in Albany, they still had a sign. They were in a in a building that had been built in the 30s. There was an orchestra pit. Uh, they'd had pages. Okay, there was a sign that said, um, "Evening announcers must wear a dinner jacket." Really. And I was on in the evening. Did you but wear the... Fortunately, they never... I No, I, I did not own a dinner jacket. <laughs> right. Or a breakfast jacket or a lunch jacket, so... <laughs> or a sleeping yeah, was, jacket. The, the sign was still there, and I don't know if it was just like they forgot to take it down, and they were like, well, we might bring this back, so... Hmm. Uh, what we're talking about today, among other things, is uh, this guy that worked for American Airlines. He was... I, I, I don't know the term, but he was one of the baggage handlers, I think is what you would call it. He's down on the tarmac. He's underneath the plane. They're putting their, you know, snaking around with those little uh, trolley things, and mm-hmm. they're bringing the, putting the baggage in or taking it off the aircraft. There's a passenger on the fl- on the plane. Uh, his name is Christian Damiana. We know this because he tweeted about it. He sees one of the baggage handlers. He's he's really watching. I mean, he's got good eyesight. He sees that one of the baggage handlers down there on the ground has a "Let's Go Brandon" hat on with FJB on the side. Mm-hmm. We all know what that means. And he tweeted the guy, uh, basically took a picture of him, tweeted about it, tweeted it at American Air, and uh, 
Now the question is, what is the airline going to do about this baggage handler? So our question on the JR poll today, do you ever wear politically themed stuff on the job? 210-599-5555, or you can email me, jack at ktsa.com. You may have a, a company policy that says you can't, but if you or kind of if it's kind of up to you, uh, what do you do? And I think that um, obviously, th- th- I'm just curious as to what the policy is or your policy is. I'm not I'm not going to try to argue with you about it. Um, it seems like we could solve a lot of this if we didn't have this assumption that we seem to have throughout our entire society that I have a right not to see anything with which I disagree. That is an invented, out of thin air, fairly recent, your parents didn't believe that, (laughs) the greatest generation didn't believe that, it's not in the Constitution, it's not in the Federalist Papers. I have a right not to see anything with which I would take issue. If we just said, you know what, That dude's got a cap on, and I think that makes him an idiot, or I think he's stupid or ignorant, or I can't believe he voted for Orange Hitler. Leave it at that. Leave it at that. I don't know how you even, I I, I don't even know how people have gotten to this point. You know, I I don't know how, we're we're grown-ups. Yes, I know kids are going to come out of the, the woke culture that we're immersing them in, God only knows, but you and I, we remember when this was not, the case we remember when you just looked away from something you didn't like you you didn't go to the guest lecture if you didn't like the lecturer you didn't go to the movie if you didn't like what it was about you didn't watch the channel you didn't listen to the talk show what is this fixation with i have to govern you and what you do and i don't want to see your let's go brandon hat I would bet you money, if I was a betting man, that the airline is going to give in on this. I mean, they immediately asked this guy, well, please send us the the airport and the gate information. I I, I don't know. I mean, what would you do? If I'm the airlines, and the airlines are all too happy to tell us to bring our seat back up to a full position and (laughs) put away our trade table and no, you can't have another ginger ale. They seem perfectly fine with bossing us around and a lot of other things. Just tell this guy, look, what he's got in his hat is not, what he's got in his head is none of your business. Um, he works for us. If he's mishandling luggage or if he's done you a a, a disservice, we, then we want to know. But if you don't like his hat, Christian Damiana, get, you know, get over it. These are the airlines. I mean, they treat us like cattle. We know they can we know they can stand up to this guy, but will they? Tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. I, I sure hope this guy recovers from his traumatic experience. You'd think the plane crashed or he had a crash landing or they had to get out of the he was so distraught. So sorry he went through this. Must have just ruined his trip. Whatever wherever he was flying to or from, I'll bet it just ruined it. I have to see the hat. Of somebody who votes differently from him. I wonder if he was literally shaking. They always like to put that in those tweets, right? I am literally shaking right now. 210-599-5555. The um, Secretary of Education says it'll be this week. 
that we get the final uh, word on what LGB is going to do about uh, student loan debt. Um, that every indication is that they're going to forgive some quantity and perhaps extend uh, for a little while longer uh, the uh, the date where payments are supposed to resume on September 1st. They maybe extend that and forgive some debt or do some combination. It was Trump that actually paused uh, the student debt in the early days of the pandemic in March of 2020. Um, but I got to tell you, I I wonder if this might be a trap for the Democrats. I, I, I think that in the past, you could pander like this and know how it was going to work and know that it was going to be a benefit. In other words, the, forever in a day, the model for the Democratic Party of giving stuff to its base has been a successful model. You could rail against it. You could, you could be mad about it. But son of a gun, if it didn't get them elected and reelected, this might be different because people are starting to wake up to the idea that the, the, the premise of it is that the Democratic Party is the party of the little guy. But when you've got people like Jennifer Granholm and Pete Buttigieg looking down their nose at you snarking about how you should get an electric car if you don't like the gas prices. When you're hearing from the left that your future will be eating crickets, so don't worry about not being able to afford chicken and beef because we'll be eating crickets. When you hear them wanting to make normal brownouts, when you hear them say that central air conditioning is a luxury we should do without, when you've just been through two years of them making rules for you, but not them, I'm not sure that this will play the way they think it will. I already think the the assumption that they are the party of the little guy is already a, a dead issue. I, I don't think I don't think there's as, nearly as many people who still believe that as there used to be. There used to be a lot. In fact, if you were not wealthy, not upper income if you had a rusty car in the driveway if you lived in a rundown neighborhood if you scraped by economically and you voted republican people would look at you like you were putting on airs who do you think you are what are you doing it's not the case anymore so we'll see talking about this uh American Airlines employee who got dimed out by a passenger who was upset with his LGB cap down on the tarmac. Gabe is on KTSA, and Gabe, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you, Jack. A uh, big fan of the show, man. I love it. Everyday listener. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I got family uh, that work in the airline industry, and it, it just kind of hits home because... You know, I know for a fact that that tarmac and, and that all that work they do with the luggage is, I mean, they're probably the hardest working group. The guys and gals down there uh, yep. are working harder than most people in the airport, you know, and sure. it's, just, it's just sad to say that you would, somebody would play with somebody's livelihood uh, over a baseball cap and some hurt feelings, you know, it's just a classic uh, 
cancel cancel job, you know, in the in the times we're in, it's it's unfortunate. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a good person or a great person, but it has never, ever occurred to me when I've seen somebody with a shirt or a cap that was my political, you know, opposite. I, I never had the feeling I wanted to get that person fired. I mean, I, you know, have you ever Absolutely. been fired? It's a terrible, it's a terrible experience. Absolutely. It's, it's just a scary thing that, you know, we are where we are. And, and I know the airline industry is a very strict uh you know, you can only be late so many times before you get fired. I mean, there's a lot of rules, uh, extreme, you know, large amount of rules. And, and I know these guys work for hard to keep their jobs. And just to think that, you know, he's going to, he's probably going to get reprimanded. Maybe he's been late a couple of times. I mean, you can get fired pretty easy from the airline. You know, well, that is, that that is ridiculous. Yeah, that is, that is yeah. ridiculous. Uh, Gabe, thank yeah, you, I sir. Think- I appreciate the call. I appreciate your kind words. Hope you call again. Um, I was looking at the comments on Facebook about this, and and uh, a, a friend of mine, Rudy, uh, who I love Rudy, but we disagree. Um, he's making the point in his comment that um, people that wear uh, LGB caps are also Trump supporters. Okay, probably, but. Could I just suggest something? Just something to think about? I, I, I mean, we all know what LGB stands for and FJB and what have you. But last time I checked, and you've heard these, right? Not only on this show, but probably with Trey or Sean or other shows. Isn't it, in fact, the case that a plurality or majority of Democrats don't want Biden to run? Doesn't he have the disapproval of a majority of people across the board? I mean, I don't put all my faith in polls and polling, but every single poll says that, right? Okay. So isn't it, in fact, the case that people that are fed up with Joe Biden, people that are angry at him, people that think they that he has, has broken his promises, that he sold himself under false billing, I'm going to be a unifier, I'm going to stop the virus. Could it be that there are people who are really angry at him, really pissed off at him, who are not Trump supporters? They're, they're not waiting to vote for Trump again, and they didn't vote for him before. I think, I think you might want to rethink the idea that the only people mad at Joe Biden are you know, MAGA people. If that was true, Biden would have a lot less to worry about. But it's not true. In fact, you know that poll I mentioned or that survey I mentioned about the college students? We talked about it yesterday and we talked about it on Friday a little bit. It's the, it's the survey that says a majority of, of college students who are Democrats will not room with someone who voted for Trump assuming they could know that. Remember that survey? Well, there was another part of that survey that said that a majority of those college Democrats, so-called, don't favor Biden. They don't want him to run again. They want him to be done. So, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little... Um, I'm getting a little 
tired of people who think that all politics are binary. Like everybody's either a Republican or a Democrat. Everybody's either a liberal or a conservative. I don't know a ton of people, but I think I know a fair number of people. I mean, in, in my own personal life. I know, a, I know a lot of people who are not either or. You could pin them to the wall, and, and they wouldn't be able to tell you. They haven't chosen a side. They figure it out as they go along. I mean, I know this is going to make people's heads explode, but you do realize there's, there's a ton of people, you know them, who voted for Obama and then Trump. <laughs> it, it happens. Who voted for Romney and then Hillary. Not everybody is, has signed a long-term contract with one of the teams. A lot of people haven't. I mean, it's in the interest of media types and political types to make you think that we're all at each other's throats. But a lot of that is showmanship. Or I guess I have to say show people-ship. <laughs> I'm not going to. And so, if somebody's mad at Biden, there's a lot of reasons that could be. And if you're assuming you know everything you need to know about them because they don't support Joe Biden, I think you're missing out. I think you've oversimplified. You sound kind of dumb, in fact, making that assumption. I mean, obviously, if every single person in every single survey who is down on him, who doesn't like the direction of the country, if they were all, absolutely every last one of them, Trump voters, he would not only run in 2024, but he'd win a historic victory the size of which we've never seen before. And I don't think that's going to happen. There's also people who I think have given up on the process. You know, I meet people sometimes, and when we talk about what I do for a living, I they're polite, but I get the sense that they think, w- w- why even bother talking about this stuff? I mean, we're never going to, there's never going to be a meeting of the minds. We're never going to solve some of these things. Why, why, why do you talk about this stuff? I mean, do you really, I had a friend of mine say, do you, do you really think any of this stuff you talk about will ever matter? I, I get that there are people like that. I, I respect that point of view. I don't I don't share it. But I can see how people have come to that. So, LGB might just be LGB. It might just be I'm I'm I've had it with this dude. Doesn't necessarily imply anything else. On 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Around this time uh, yesterday, we were talking about old car names because there's uh, a new Dodge Hornet coming out any day now. Uh, Dodge has brought back the Hornet name and put it on a new small SUV. Looks pretty cool. Uh, But the Hornet is a a nameplate that's been in the car business for a long time. There was an AMC Hornet back in the 60s and 70s. There was the Hudson Hornet. 
And um, so we started talking about how cars used to have cooler names and more evocative names. A lot of car names now are made-up words or numbers. And um, it almost sounds clinical or cold. So people were calling in, and, and, and I, I've discovered that people really love, even even people that are not car buffs like I am, people really love being nostalgic about cars they had or had. It kind of morphed into a discussion of cars people had owned. That wasn't really the question we'd ask. The question we'd ask is, what was a cool name for a car? And we talked about some offbeat names like the Studebaker Dictator. That was a car. Uh, the Dodge Dart Swinger, my very, very prim, proper Yankee aunt had a Dodge Dart Swinger. My brothers and I would, you know, snicker about that. She was not a swinger. But then when people were reminiscing, oh, I remember when I had this. My first car was that. When I was young, I drove one of these. Um, I noticed, when, especially guys, more than, more than women, I would say, generally, it's hard to tell sometimes if they're talking about a car they had or a girlfriend they had. It almost sounds the same. You know, she was so much fun. I took her everywhere. She was so cool. And be careful, though, you know. She was fast. You don't want to say that. But anyway, uh, that was very enjoyable. And I was still getting emails last night and this morning from people on the car names uh, question. Another thing that we talked about yesterday was, uh, and it was our question on the poll yesterday, do you believe there'll be a red wave in uh, the 2022 midterms? And I think by asking the question, I maybe implied that I have lost all faith in this or I'm down in the dumps about I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm looking at what might happen. I'm looking at ways in which the Republican establishment is is, is ruining their their chances, but it's not that I, I don't think there will still be one, because there will be. And Newt Gingrich wrote a column today, or I saw it today. Uh, this was at dailycaller.com. Reality is about to crush Democrat midterm dreams. And his point is, if you're getting nervous about the midterms, the media are doing that to you. They are purposely dampening your enthusiasm. And and with the obvious goal of making you feel like, oh, not, it's not, I'm not even going to bother to vote. It, 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 it's, it's not going to happen. He writes, in August 1980, Reagan was reportedly underperforming. He went on to win the biggest electoral college victory against an incumbent president in American history. In August 94, no one thought House Republicans could win a majority. The weekend before the election, professional experts and pundits opined that a Republican majority was a fantasy. The following January, we convened the first Republican House majority in 40 years. In August of 2016, he writes, the elites were certain that a Donald Trump victory was impossible and that Hillary Clinton was inevitably going to be the next president of the United States. If you don't believe me, he writes, go to YouTube and watch the election night 2016 coverage, heartbroken commentator after heartbroken commentator realizing with tragic looks on their face that Trump had won. Finally, in 2020, House Republicans were supposed to lose 25 seats. 
according to the experts. Instead, they gained 15 seats. So he says, now we have a series of polls which indicate Democrats are catching up, gaining ground. This is nothing new. And um, when people are ready for new blood or to send a message, they're going to send it. Now, the only thing I would quibble with Speaker Gingrich about, who I think is a very smart guy, and I'm not saying I'm in his league, but if I was to talk to him, the only thing I would point out, the only thing I think he misses in this otherwise really well-written piece is that those examples, 1980, 1994, um, are from a different time, really different. I mean, the environment was different. The media were different. There was a lot less of it. You didn't carry around a supercomputer that was constantly pushing a narrative at you. You might go all day without finding out what CBS News thought about the election until until the evening when you saw the news come on or the anchor come on. You're swimming in. You're 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 drowning in punditry and, uh, you know, opining these days. You're not getting a little quick hit of it before dinner. And so I, I, I don't know that he's right that it didn't work then. I don't know if the discouragement factor could work now. I don't know. I'll tell you something else, and I hate to say this, and I'm not, again, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but in 1980... Or in 1994, there were more of us who still believed that we could just turn this country around with an election. If you were to stand up in a room full of people today and go, you know, we're just one election away from fixing this, people would would either laugh out loud at you or be too embarrassed to even look at you. We don't think that, right? We don't think, oh, if we can just get a, if we can just make Kevin McCarthy the Speaker of the House. I mean, no one thinks that except maybe Kevin McCarthy. No one thinks we just need a Republican Congress. That'll do it. There are people who seem to think, well, we just need Trump back in there. But I, I get the feeling even some of them, if you really could spend a little time with them, say, you know, you. You sure you're not oversimplifying this? Not that they wouldn't support him, but it, it, it's actually going to take more than one person, no matter who that person is. But I like generally what he's saying, which is that you're being um, influenced, or at least the influence is attempted, by people that A, have a history of getting things wrong, and B, have a history of trying to... Um, flavor or, you know, tinge the outcome with their reporting. I mean, it is the most predictable thing I can think of. I I promise you, I guarantee you, the closer we get to the election, any election, the more the, the reporting, the theme of the reporting will be, it's tightening up, it's getting close. They always do that. They have to because 
How could they get you to watch if it was a foregone conclusion? You know, I'm a big college football fan, and I love college football, and I'm not saying this is a complaint, but one of the issues people have with college football is, and I hear, I've had friends of mine say this to me, well, why do, you, why do you even bother? You can watch all those games over all those weeks, and Alabama is going to win. JR poll question, which runs all through the show and is not only available when you call in, but you can also get it at KTSA.com. You can get it on the uh, 550 KTSA Facebook page. We asked you, uh, do you ever wear politically themed stuff on the job or when you're working? And um, this was more lopsided uh, than I than I thought it would be. I, I mean, I didn't think it would be close, but 92% said no. 92%. 8% yes. New question tomorrow when we get started at 4 or find it any time at KTSA.com. <clears throat> um yeah, we, we got a lot of calls yesterday about the uh, car naming uh, thing, and it, it kind of morphed into cars people used to own, cars people remember fondly, cars they don't make anymore. Um, and I meant to bring this up, and it just slipped my mind, like a lot of things do. Uh, but I've been wondering lately... If you drive a uh, standard transmission, if your car is a standard transmission, and as I'm sure you know, even if you're not a car buff, those are disappearing. Uh, There are car companies that don't offer them anymore, even sports cars that you can't get them. There are um, fewer and fewer models where they're an option. And unless you order them, you're probably not going to find one on a dealer lot. I mean, they're just... They're in the extreme minority. I don't mean that automatic transmissions are more popular. I mean, automatic transmissions have been more popular for 50 or 60 years, but now they are almost gone. So here's my question. If you you drive a standard, can you valet park it? Because valets are usually young people, right? It's a young person's job. Can they drive a standard? Can you not valet park because they wouldn't know how to jump in and take it around the block and put it in that parking lot? I'm just curious about that because I don't have one, and I wondered how that works. If you have a standard transmission, is that a problem? Because one time I saw a, um, I don't know if it was a sticker or it was something on the back of the car, and it showed the little shift pattern for a standard transmission and underneath it it said uh, millennial anti-theft device because the joke was well millennials can't drive this so they can't steal the car and uh, that was kind of funny so anyway just kind of an offshoot of the old car thing Um, if you have a standard transmission whether it's a new or old car uh, can you valet park it have you ever had a valet say I'm sorry I don't know how to I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to drive this. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Had a lot of reaction to the um, QR code discussion on restaurant uh, menus. And uh, Alan wrote a nice uh, email to jack at ktsa.com. Says, uh, Jack, movie theaters 
have features that run before the previews start if you arrive early like I always do. Among the features are movie trivia questions. I always enjoy trying to guess the answer, but now several of the trivia questions require you to hold your phone up to a QR code. So with my 20th century flip phone, writes Alan, I'm out of luck, and I have to live with an unanswered trivia question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not... I'm not I'm not down on the QR code thing. I get it. Um, I'm sure that they have value for businesses and data collection and everything else, but I don't know. I, I feel like when the newness of that wears off, maybe it won't be so, people won't be requiring them or using them as much. They seem they feel like a very um, faddish, you know, thing of the moment right now. Oh, Here's our QR code, you know. You see them on, I even see people driving around, like private vehicles, not company vehicles. No markings, no, like, company name on the vehicle. So what, what is obviously a private vehicle. And there's a QR code. Is that like if you, like if, hey, if you like me or you want to find out more about me, here's my QR code. I, I'm not, obviously I'm not curious enough to, hold my phone over it or stick my phone out the window, so I don't know. Um, we were talking yesterday about how the um, major cities in the Northeast are getting more and more of these immigrant buses from Abbott's thing, and they're frustrated. And I saw a story today that the mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, has been rebuffed a second time by the Biden administration, fellow Democrats, for... Um, National Guard. It is really weird to watch sanctuary cities asking for the National Guard to deal with bust-in immigrants. I, I can only imagine that they're doing this with the greatest of reluctance because it's making their whole claim and posture about sanctuary look ridiculous. By the way, I also seem to remember when Trump would talk about the National Guard, they would accuse him of militarizing America and trying to be a military dictator. I don't hear anybody saying that about Eric Adams or Muriel Bowser, that they're militarizing their cities or or seeking military dictatorship. I guess it's just different when we do it and when they do it, right? Anywho... Back here tomorrow live at 4 or find the show anytime on demand. Jack Riccardi page, KTSA.com.